fresh release behind a sour taste The parts of you that they want replaced Old lives bound with bricks and mortar Man's vision has no quarter Black mass and titan fury Says the acts make the line run blurry I know, you know, who knows why It's do or die Cool crimson compromise Fire burning eye to eye I can't feel the temperature So today I am joined by Mr. Dan Madigan again For the Hattrick, the third show how are you doing, Dan? I'm doing good. Did you say third show or third show? The third show. Third show. Okay, I'll make sure. Okay, third show, yeah. The triumphant, triumphant trio, yes. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me. We're going to keep this show cleaner than the last two. Uh, it's impossible not to. <laughs> so, like, something that we didn't discuss before was yourself and you work with art. Yeah. yeah Tell us I'm, about it. Uh, well... Ironically, like most people know me through either horror movies um, or wrestling or a combination of both. But my first love is is art. It's painting. I was a painter. I mean, I went to school for painting. I've painted my entire life. Uh, as a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. So I spent um, many formative years just drawing, drawing, painting. And um, it became um, something that I had to do. I still do. Uh, but it wasn't always in the forefront of my pursuits because it doesn't make money a lot of the times. Um, my career started as an artist when I was in grammar school, Catholic school. And as a kid, I would read uh, the Dick Tracy comic strips in the, in the comics every day. And I would cut those out. I would read little Abner, um, Prince Valiant. And I learned narrative storytelling through just the squares and the blocks and the, the panels. I would learn how to tell a story visually and then with the, with the narrative. And so I started drawing my own comic strips as a kid, uh, very rudimental, you know, very rude in um, my style. I didn't really have a style as a kid. I'm just sort of aping other artists and stuff. But uh, the, only, the only access to art I had really was I didn't go to galleries and museums. I would look at the paintings in the church, you know, on Fridays during, I was supposed to, supposed to be a communion and I'm looking at all these paintings of crucifixions and saints martyrdoms and stations of the cross and people getting whipped and beaten. I go, holy cow. And that, that was my first imprint of art of, and of the human body and stuff and, and studying the anatomy. So, you know, I didn't really have access to anatomy books at the time. I had comic books, but those are always only defined heroic things. So my vision of art was always like these emaciated type of bodies and crucified bodies and stuff. And that was my that was formulating what I was creating as art. And then at the same time, I started doing these uh, rather uh, what's the word uh, unpleasant cartoons. We'll say I was I created these characters. Uh, we'll talk about. I was in fifth grade. I created these characters called the Two Bads, and all they say is too bad. They don't do anything else. They just say they, don't, they just say too bad, and they were easy to draw. They had like big bulbous noses and shaggy hair, and they went around just killing people, killing and maiming and chopping people up and paling people, and all they said was too bad. And people were begging, "Please don't kill me. I'm an old lady." They say too bad. Or, "Please don't kill me. I'm pregnant." Too bad. And they'd burn orphanages and hospitals, and it was it was just you know it was it was. I was in fifth grade. I'm a boy. I'm an idiot. My friends were idiots and we all got a kick out of it. We're all laughing and shit. And it was just funny. And, and every day I would draw a new, a new adventure of the two bads. And they, I had these uh, stack of um, punch cards, old punch cards. And the, they were like this and perfect, perfect for a, a comic strip. And the backs were uh, blank. 
So I would draw my pencil. I draw the two bats, and they do fun, loving stuff like murder and mayhem and bludgeonings and all types of brutality. They had guns and knives and flamethrowers, and I'm laughing. My friends are laughing, and it's just it, it, it's it's absurd. The amount of violence is so absurd. It's like the Grand Guggenhall. It's 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 an absurdity. And so one day I came into class and I, I sat down, I opened my desk with these desks that opened, and my drawings were gone. I had them hidden under a pencil box with an American flag on it, which is kind of apropos. And I looked, and all my drawings are gone. And I had this feeling in my stomach, oh, no. And I looked up, and the nun is sitting at her desk shooting daggers at me like a death stare, like looking at me. It was like a Zulu death mask. Zoom. And my friends just, all their desks just moved away slowly. I'm sitting in the, by myself, right? And she's glaring at me. And another nun came in, and she sat, and she started, they both glaring at me. like It was like Adam Macbeth, these witches glaring at me. Then the priest came in. He was half lit anyway. And they brought me to the hallway. And I, I really expected to get a beating. I, I had been beat before. And they had a guy there. He was a, he was a civilian, a psychologist, yeah. I found out. And he was a layperson, and he wanted to talk to me. And so he walked me down the hallway to this room, and I sat at the desk, and there was my pile of drawings on the, on the desk. And he sat across from me, and he starts looking at each drawing, looking at each drawing. He's holding up, looking at him, and he's studying it like he's an art critic or something. And he's looking at each design, and, and each drawing gets worse and worse progressively with the violence and the absurdity. And I'm trying to look contrite, which isn't a possibility. I'm, my eyes are down. I'm trying to look like I'm sorry. And I keep staring at him and staring at him. And I notice at one point at the corner of his mouth, the beginning of a smile or a smirk or a sneer. But I, I knew at that point I had him. And he puts the artwork down and he goes, he does this, you know, Daniel, there's a time and place for everything. This is neither the time nor the place. And it looks like you're a very gifted young artist with a vivid imagination, but you've got to curtail that to other things. And I'm trying to be, oh, yeah, whatever. Okay, I'm polite. Can I have my drawings back? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We, you can't have these back. So he walks me down the hallway towards the nuns and the priest, and they're waiting there. I mean, they're, they're, they're waiting literally to tear me apart. And they're waiting to kick me out of school. And he stops right in front of them, and he looked down at me, and he looks at them, and he says about me, he goes, it's okay. He's fine. He's fine. And he and he I walked back into class and that was the first validation I ever got of my artwork being even though I was censored, it's fine. And I had been since then I've been censored as an artist uh, more or less through my career. I was censored in college. Some of my pieces, I told my instructors what I was going to do, some certain pieces that were semi-erotic and stuff. And um, But once I finished the pieces, they were like, that's not what we envisioned. I go, well, I gave you sketches and drawings all the way up to the final piece. I think they, once they saw it, they, they backed off. And I used to work for Disney Animation a long time ago. And they came to my department, my entire department. They said, would you like, to? every department had an art show. Like, you know, the animators, the background people. I was Ink and Paint, and Ink and Paint was in a, an art show. And our art show was supposed to be in a year from when they had signed it. In typical Disney, they said, oh, your art show got pushed up to, like, to next month. So I started doing some collage work. I was always interested. I started doing some of the collage work that we'll see. And I did a series of works, and I had a lot of thematic stuff in it, you know, things that influenced me like um, religion, suppression, repression, all these different things, a repressed sexuality. And I brought my stuff to Disney and I put it on the wall on a Friday afternoon. 
and Friday night was the um, was the art show. And I remember um, Friday night I show up, and the president of Disney Animation, the president, uh, Peter Schneider, a powerful guy, he comes up to me, nice guy. He said he was doing he was doing something he didn't want to do, but he said, Dan, I got to say something to you. I love your artwork. I love it. I've got tons and tons of compliments. But I got one complaint. I said, you got one complaint? I go, yeah. And and I, I feel that I've got to take some of this work down. So I went to defend my work. And when I when I told him the entire thematic structure of all my pieces, all the work had to come down. And he said, and he said Dan, I, I love your stuff. I think it's great. I could see it in the gallery. But And this is a quote. He goes, your work makes people, your work makes people think. And we can't have that here. And so I took the work down, but I put it all outside around my car in the parking lot. And I had a bunch of about a hundred people came around walking with white wine, drinking and looking. So I had a gallery showing outside uh, of Disney and Peter was very cool about it because, you know, he said he, he has to think about the integrity of the whole show. But the funny thing is the piece that was the, the piece that someone complained about um, had a nude image and the nude image was a composite of two different pieces and both pieces came from magazines you could buy in the news news rack, you know, two art magazines you could buy mm-hmm. in the newsstand. So I don't, and they're both pieces by a famous artist. So I don't understand what the hubbub was, but so as a kid, I was censored in college and as a Disney, I was censored uh, in, of course, in wrestling, we talked about the times I've been censored right and left. So, you know, I feel as a writer, as an artist, you got to push, you, you need to push the envelope to the edge and knock it over to see what works, what doesn't work. And there are times I've pulled myself back, but you know, art, I've always said, I don't make art for, um, to be like, to make an artistic expression. I've always done stuff that comes out as a social commentary. And I, I didn't mean to make a social commentary. It's just some of the things I see spark differently. And so I, I went, and as I studied art, I studied painting, I studied collage, I studied things, and I see thematically things I would use um, in my work. And funny enough, I mean, some of that work goes into my writing. It went into the wrestling. Um, that creative thread I sort of kept all the way through. So uh, I was very, very, very lucky to have a friend of mine, John Lewinsky, who was a writer himself, an artist. He did a show at a, at a virtual gallery called uh, uh, Chopper Chunky Gallery. And I said, that's interesting name, Chopper Chunky Gallery. And John talked to the uh, owner and curator, was an artist himself, Mark Craig. And Mark uh, contacted me, wanted to see some of my work. So I sent him a piece or two, you know, a JPEG. He loved this stuff, loved it. And so he said, I'd like to do a show. So right now I have a virtual one-man show at the Chopper Chunky Gallery up in this virtual world, which I think, as Mark explained to me, Going forward, going forward in the uh, post-pandemic world, Mm post-COVID world, I think a lot of things will be happening now in the art world virtually. And it uh, it only makes sense. It only makes sense now that because people haven't gone to galleries or museums and people don't weren't really going in the first place. But this is a way and access to what like you watch wrestling on the computer, you know, watch movies on the computer. Well, the next uh, next step would be watch art on the computer, you know, collect art on the computer, use digitize art as a not just monetary but as a collectibles so i think uh there's a whole new wave coming of, of artists presenting the work to the masses you no longer you could find just to the walls of a gallery but literally it's 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 limitless what we can do now uh so i think that i, I see it as it, at first i was kind of no I'm, I'm an i'm an artist i must put my work on the wall there are no walls anymore mm. so you got to put your work out there 
So that's I think I think uh, Mark Craig is one of the he's on the forefront. Chopper Chunky Chopper Chunky Gallery is on the forefront of pushing this stuff. And the show that I'm in, the shows that come before me, I was really impressed at the artists overall that he has. And and I and I'd been out of the art world for a while, so when I saw this presented to me, when Mark showed this, I was like, wow, this is a new venue, a new avenue of creating stuff, and and showing stuff. I seen uh, one of the first things I seen was the the eye. Oh, uh, yeah. And then I just thought, yeah, see no evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I've all even before the eye has always influenced. I've always looked at the eye. Um, egg is it's so intricate to draw, but yet really the eyes. Everyone has a pair of them, yet they're all different. And I've always thought. In the back of my head, I think everything's the same thing. When I see something, does everyone else see the same thing I see? Do you see red like I see? Do you? Does that look like you? Does that chair look like the chair to you? And the eyes is something that is so unique to us. It, it gives us our vision of the world. And it's funny that you know we only see what's ahead of us. We only look like this, very predatory. So I thought I always thought that the eyes are interesting to draw, to use. Um, because it's something, there are certain things in art that are always relatable. You know, it, 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 it crosses cultures. If I use an eye for a symbol in something, well, more or less everyone around the world can identify with it. Whereas something else, like they might not know, but eyes and features and body parts, I think those are universal things of recognition uh, that makes it easy for an artist to tell their story. And what's the feedback been like? Oh, I'll be honest, uh, I've been fantastic. Because a lot of the people I know, the last several years, 20 years i've been writing 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 and i've neglected my art and so most people that know me didn't know i was an artist they had no clue yeah. that was out of that was a, the painting painting's my first love but you know painting first love doesn't pay me writing doesn't pay as much so you know but when they found out i was an artist people were like holy shit we didn't we had no no idea and i've had people that i know that are writers and directors and they've looked at my work they're like so they see me differently now I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean, maybe they didn't like see me in the first place in a good light, but now they see me at least, you know, they see the work and they notice that every piece has a story behind it. There's a, there's a connectiveness between every piece. And, and, um, it was, it was, it was a nice that Mark gave me this chance. And there was a few pieces that weren't put in the show because they were too controversial. Um, but he wants to do something later on, later on. He said, you know, later on, we'll do something with these pieces. It was ironic because the whole theme is about censorship. And even Mark's like, wow, those are kind of cutting edge, but let's pull off on these several pieces for later on. But all the pieces that um, we've held off on, they're all thematic. They're all the same theme to them and stuff. And okay. he's he's the type of gallery owner. He's the type of artist that he, he sees what someone's going for. He realizes the one thing, talking to Marcus, um, you may have a lot of technical talent. And I know a lot of artists that really have great technical skills, but they're kind of soulless. They really, there's nothing there. It, it's like it's like a great wrestler who could go through the moves, but there's no nothing there. You've seen it before. He likes to go for the rawness, the primitive, you know, the primitive style, the something that eeks of emotion. I think he saw my work and he he saw that connection. So that's how we worked out well. I mean, some of my, some of my things I do rather crudely on purpose, but I'd rather have a crudeness to it that has a purpose behind it. Um, some I, I can't paint pretty pictures. I, I can't do it. That's why I couldn't be an animator at Disney. I couldn't do the same line over and over again. I don't have that capacity to draw pretty pictures. Although I love landscapes and seascapes, I, I admire that. I, I don't have the, either the skill or the time or the mindset to create that. So when I'm drawing a painting, I always do something that's very to the darkish side. So mm -hmm. that's just the way I grew up. As well as that, then, you've 
you've dipped your toes back into the world of pro wrestling. Yes, I have. My toes have been dipped. They're dipped and they're wet. It's it's like it's like that scene in The Godfather Three. They always pull you back in. They yeah. always pull you back in. And I I have been I have been disappointed with the business for a while. And um, but I have a partner, my my partner Gary Lee Jackson, and we um we've been working with Sonny Ono, who you know, yeah. and yeah. Sonny Sonny Ono, Gary, and myself. Um, we had these tryouts two years ago. We we missed this year's trial because COVID. But yeah. we were we were we had tryouts throughout the country of having wrestlers come to different dojos, various dojos that we contacted, and they would give tryouts to try to get ten to twelve people to go to uh, to Wrestle One, which is a promotion in Japan that Kaz yeah. Hayashi Kaz Hayashi was working there, and so we had an we had such a, an amazing call out of people we were all amazed how many people showed up right even in los angeles we were amazed how many people showed up so we had a great um showing of people we picked 12 great candidates we filmed the entire thing gary filmed the entire process from the training process to he filmed everything and it's on it's on our vimeo page it's it's the road to shikoku it's the it's, it's the road to uh, going to, to japan and each person had their own story and it was really a life. It was a life-changing thing for these wrestlers because they went to Wrestle One. They get to partake in the programs there. They trained with Kaz Hayashi, you know, who's now who's now running promotion, several promotions over there. Uh, Gleet being one of them. So it was. It, it felt great that we get so much great feedback that we, we were now funneling talent, American talent, into Japan, and we were all psyched and ready to do the second year, and then well. COVID just sort of came in and just took our feet right off from me. We like, we can't believe this. We couldn't do anything, but we were, we was, I was talking with Sonny and Cass again. So we're, we're gearing up to do it again because now Cass is working with uh, pro wrestling. Noah, he's working yeah. with Gleet. Gleet's a new one. So Cass, Cass Hayashi is our conduit to several promotions in Japan. Sonny Ono's out here and he's our conduit to Cass. So we're working together to have another, a bigger tryout and probably get some people from maybe Canada to show up and maybe a year after people in Europe to show up because the feedback we got about this, these tryouts to go to Japan were, were bigger than we expected. And so I think it was the hard work of Lucha Otaku, you know, our whole crew, Gary, Mitch, Sonny, we all worked hard to get this together. And their feedback was great. The response is great. And we want to create that relationship with the Japanese promotions. We want to, I've been a fan of Japanese wrestling. So, and the people I know love it. And a lot of wrestling fans love it. And a lot of don't even know about it still. So we want to be that, that road to sending talent there and yet having the talent come back and working here for us. So I'm still kind of in the business to that extent. So is the plan going forward to have your own show, maybe streamed online or something like well, that? Well, I kind of we I, I was doing some commentary me and Sonny Ono for um, uh, Tokyo Joshi, the Joshi that's the female wrestling, and I got to mm -hmm. be honest, it's uh, commentary is harder than it looks. I, I, it really I I was I was like, this is a hard gig doing commentary. So I give my hats off to people that can do it, but we would like to do a show here in America. We'd like to do a show and even take it abroad if we can by using multiple Japanese talents from different promotions. We have our own idea. Our concept is um, is to bring it, bring the Japanese talent here under our own banner. We have a certain name for it and stuff. We're still working on the name. But it would be under Lucha Otaku, and we would have um, maybe one or two or three pay-per-views or wrestling events throughout the country, California, Texas, the, you know, out north. You know, But 
every place is a hot spot with this Japanese wrestling fans. We would go there, and I think it would work and stuff. I think you know, um, because when New Japan came out here to do wrestling, the card was all white guys, all Americans. Yeah. I go, what the hell? What the hell? I can watch that anywhere. Why the hell am I watching? You know, I want to see the Japanese wrestlers that I watch on TV or I watch on YouTube. I want to see these guys. See, I don't want to see, and not to sound, you know, uh, nationalistic, but I could see those guys anywhere. There's a reason I'm a fan of Lucha Libre. I want to see the Lucha Libre guys. There's a reason I'm a fan of Japanese wrestlers. I want to see the Japanese wrestlers. I want to see these things. Uh, so that's our plan. One of our greatest wrestlers and exports from here, Finn Balor. I don't know if you've seen much of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved his gimmick. I loved the look. It's yeah. wow. And he, he was in Japan for fucking years and years. Yeah, but uh, yeah. they they seem to have dropped the whole demon thing though, which is a shame. I, you know, it drives that's what drives me crazy. I mean, I yeah. the look, the the amount of effort he put into doing that, creating that. Um, trust me, you don't know how much work goes into that, and I think it's a great, especially today. How could you drop that angle? I mean, there's so many things happening today in society where that could embolize some, that could that could be some, personify something else. Um, who's the, who are the biggest heels but demons, you know, or you could play them, you know, he could be a, a face as a demon, but you could do so much with it, and to, to drop something like that just seems like, you know, there's a lack of creativity, I mean, when when I know when I, from speaking of experience when you go to hot angle or something you can always find something to do with it You could find, Finn Balor is an excellent wrestler, it's a great gimmick you can find something that will fit into you create something you have to create something for it to go against or to work with but put the effort into it um so that's my th- i just feel bad i feel upset when i see angles like that drop because that happened to me yeah i, I kind of feel that um what you'd hear about vince doesn't really like him he's too small and that and then when he went back to nxt that kind of maybe solidified that point like well, i don't see uh, i don't understand um like the size thing. Oh, you're not that yeah. big. Yeah. Is he re- is he really into the size thing, or is that well, just a? Well, I mean, I I saw it somewhat, but he, you know, he always wants. Remember, Vince Vince had a bodybuilding federation in the '80s, mm. and he went against, he went against Joe Weider's federation, and it didn't really work and stuff. But so it's the it's the big aesthetic of the big muscular guy, and and you can see that selling the product. But those big muscular guys, once in the ring, they don't really pan out. It's the little guys that work. I mean, Eddie Guerrero wasn't the biggest guy. He was very muscular for his size, but the guy could work. You know, Chris Benoit could work. Dean Malenko. These aren't the biggest guys, but they gave you the best shows. I mean, they gave you Rey Mysterio. I mean, everyone in Mexico, for God's sakes, is not that big, but they give you great shows. So once you're in the ring, you're all kind of the same size. The camera on you and stuff. I mean, you, you know, and if you aren't that big, you overcome that obstacle. That's part of your story. So to be Donaldson, who's doesn't have the the big attributes i mean uh, but can he work can he tell a story the camera you should be able to manipulate protect and control your product by that camera where you put it how you show it how you present people if you can't protect and promote your people by that way then you're doing you're doing something wrong yeah you know i was actually just on a i just thought of it there in my head were you surprised the big show went to aw Uh, i was very surprised that was yeah there are two swerves for Big Show. That uh, the first swerve was when he was uh, with Raw and SmackDown, and he pulls off the ECW T-shirt. That that got me. That was a t- typical Paul Heyman swerve. It got me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't expect Paul. Paul, you know, um, 
quite a big show to go to AEW. But looking back, it makes sense because his tenure there for the WWE, I mean, what's he going to do? I mean, he's, he's done it. As, you know, he wants to protect his body to some extent. And now you've got a major player coming over there, which is good for them. And they're really, I mean, we talked earlier, they're really burning up the, the ratings and stuff. Uh, AEW, yeah. I mean, NXT went head to head with them. You know, you're you're the you're the you're the flagship, you're the flag team um, or the farm team. We'll say of the biggest promotion in the business ever. You're the farm team. You're you're the guys that you're going to be the next generation. And you go you go against these upstart company, and they beat you. You got you got to relinquish that time spot and go to another night. Holy cow! Holy cow! That's I, I think uh, kudos to Tony Khan and. Cody Rhodes, the whole crew, the uh, um, everyone Jer- over there. Jericho as yeah. well, I think. Jer- oh, Jer- oh, Jericho. Jericho is just a – he's got it. Jericho's just got it. He's a smart guy, smart businessman. Jericho, he's more than a wrestler. He really is. He's, he's a personality. He's, he's sharp. But um, he brings – Chris Jericho brings your promotion or your program to another level. Yeah. He, gets, he has that – okay, now it's here. Now Chris Jericho, now it's here. So and you can't define that and you can't really copy that. Chris just has it after spending his life in the business and learning and paying the, paying his dues. Um, but it's interesting to see how they t- how they take people from, from WWE and how they change them if they're going to change or how they're going to fit into the structure there. Yeah. Um, it's 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 wrestling, but now what's your capacity? What's your role in it? Because you're not going to be the big show, but you've got 30 years of expertise and knowledge and experience. How are we going to partake that? How do we share that to these? I, I can actually see a lot of guys running down their contracts and going there. Yeah, I can too. And, and the only problem I see with that is, um, I don't know if it's a problem, but I remember watching uh, uh, TNA and a lot of guys going down there too. And part of my sentiment is, Oh, so it's just like I don't I don't want to cause it the the has been league or the over the hill gang, but you know if you can't cut it for Vince, you know it's like playing like uh, like AAA baseball from leave you know okay, I'm going down to here to play. I think AEW should repackage these guys um, not as personalities, but as what they're going to present to wrestling. And um, you have you have an opportunity now better than TNA had or WCW to really uh, take the mantle and run with it. They really did, and the young bucks too. For years ago, their whole idea of grabbing social media and manipulating it and using it was really. I go, wow, these guys got something. There's a financial aspect, I think, to AEW as well because the cans are billionaires as well. That's something TNA can't compete with, really. So these guys, if these guys are to leave WWE, like, and to see someone that's going to pay. Maybe not exactly the same amount, but a good chunk of it. Like you can imagine, Chris Jericho is not working there for small money. Like, oh no, he's not. He's not, and it, and it's smart too because um, I they're basically uh, in Florida, right? And the, and a lot of the boys live in Florida, Tampa, or yeah. they live in Atlanta, so or Atlanta. Uh, always live near the big airport hub, so travel's not it's not killing them to travel anymore. No one's doing house shows really, if at all. So it's it's easier for the boys. It's easier for uh, you know the wear and tear is, is, is off now. Um, I I think that uh, Tony Khan's a sharp enough guy where he he sees uh, okay. I his wrestling wrestling is a jumping off point for other things now. 
It's it, it's people see it's wrestling, but now you people going into the WWE is doing scripted shows. They're doing other things, so they see wrestling as a platform to jump off at different mediums. And I think Tony sees, okay, I can do scripted shows. I can do this now. I can do that now because I already have my base, and we can take it from here. Tony is going to be the first guy I think to run a pay per view live in the UK since SummerSlam '92. Really? I think wow. so. I, I think I you know I think people want to see he's got a stadium there he he owns Fulham yeah. Football Club yeah it's 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 yeah it's crazy it really is I mean you have access to um uh, a location that's and, and if you I mean I that's in London know, as well yeah it's it's yeah. really I mean that that's that goes to how wrestling it goes against it it translates to all cultures. You know, translates to and you, like you could have wrestling in any any cu- country, and you'll basically within seconds understand the concept. You know, it's a universal thing, so that's a great thing. There's no borders or boundaries, as, as we say. Um, so him to take it to England is just the next progression. I would I would take it as many places as I, as I could. Yeah. Whatever there's whatever there's a crowd, if there's a crowd of people, even this one person, you will make fans. You give them a product, you will have the fan base will come. It's gonna happen. I remember like WCW ran a show in Ireland. I think it was in 2000, maybe 2000 it was, right shortly before they they finished up anyway. And um, right after then, WWE hadn't been to Ireland, I think, in about 10 or 12 years. Wow. About three or four months later, WWE were there. And I think think AEW will start, when things open up, they'll start hitting different countries, I reckon, even for house shows. They can, they can, uh, they have the roster now. They have the, they get the roster, and people. It's out here in Los Angeles. Here's an example. People want to get out, even though there's still COVID happening. People get cabin fever. They get pent up. They want to get out. They want to go to clubs again. They want to drink it socially. People want to see wrestling shows. They want to go to wrestling matches. I don't know how they're going to structure it. I don't know how the seating is going to be, but people want to go to see something they like. And I think once once we can get these masks off, or at least be more conscious and vaccinated, people are going to go out to these shows. And I think the first person out there is going to really reap the benefits. You know, like, boom. People want to get out. I want to see a show. I want to do something. I want to be out. And I, I think uh, whoever grabs that f- ring first is going to is going to do very, very well. You yeah. know. And, and I hope it's AEW. I want to. Not that I'm, I'm not sliding Vince, but I, I want to see something new, something different. I want to see someone else on top for all. I mean, <clears throat> I hate to say it, but I am a Tom Brady fan. You know, and, and seeing Tom Brady win the seventh Super Bowl was amazing for me, even though it's another team. We still won, but there's a lot of people. They go, okay, we want him to retire. We want him gone. We want to see the next, the ne- who's the next guy, and and I think with the WWE, okay, they had their run. Is it going to be AEW? Are they the ones they're going to pick up, or some other promotion going to come up and take the reins? You know, so I think people are wanting to see when the wane of Vince's company. They're never going to go away, but they want to see the next person that's going to come up. And I think AEW has proven that. Yeah. Listen, it was great to chat with you again. Anyway, yeah, it's great. I just—it's always a pleasure. Like I said, um, you got a great show. There's a couple. I mean, um, off the top of my head, there's a couple of people I think would be great in your show. I mean, um, besides doing the wrestling, I'm doing a couple of things. If I can plug right now, I'm working with. Um, yeah. I'm working with Digger Mesh. Digger's a friend of mine. He's actually a visionary, creative guy. Um, he's called like the he's the rock and roll Michelangelo of action figures. Um, Digger in the '90s created a company called Art Asylum. And he would do these amazing 
action figures, uh, their art forms. I mean, he rivaled like all the McFarlane stuff. He would do these Kiss figures, all the rock and roll figures and horror movie figures. So um, I'll just they're doing a documentary on him now. But I'm working with Digger on a couple of projects. One is a movie he wants to direct. He wants me to write. And um, Digger has a, um, a documentary. He's It's out now. It's called Highlands. It's about um, it's the story of marijuana. And, and I, I don't smoke pot. But it shows it's, it's, it's marijuana and, and how it affects the, the community, how the government wants to affect it. So I was, I, I was kind of fascinated on the aspect of, once again, how the government's trying to put their hands into something. So if you looked at his v, Vimeo page, Digger Mesh, called Highlands, it's, it's an amazing story. And he's directed films and stuff. So working with Digger at this capacity now, he, he lets me push my imagination. Far as he, he, he says, just keep doing it. Keep going and going. So working with Digger's been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm working with a couple of guys who you would get a kick out of. Um, they're called Dreaming in Neon. And okay. it's two friends of mine. Uh, Chad Cherry, who's a rock and roller. He's a, he's a singer of the group called Claws. He's a musician. And uh, Matt Cunningham, who's a horror movie director, writer, composer. And they started doing um, music together, synthetic music. And it, it's imagine like Tangerine Dream to the next level. It's all the stuff I watched as a kid that they watched. They're friends of mine. Like you're watching... Uh, Fabio Fritzi, who did all the Fulci horror movie soundtracks. So you watch like um, Vangelis, all these synthetic uh, soundtracks of my childhood have influenced these guys. And Dreaming in Neon, they're doing some amazing stuff, amazing music. And um, uh, my partner, Gary, Gary Jackson, is making videos now. We're making videos now with um, Dreaming in Neon. And um, I'm also working with Danny Wolf, another someone I'm going to push towards you. Danny. You probably know he's he was doing commentary at Lance Russell in Memphis, and Danny was um, he's uh, he's he has four documentaries out now, uh, literally four. He's three called Time War, but it's the history of cult movies. I'm in two of them, and he has a film called Skin, and it's the history of nudity in movies, and it's the it's the number one film on Amazon. It's an amazing documentary. Wow. The, the top, and it's 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 a really it's a great documentary about the history of how nudity came into film and how it's affected society and stuff. And so Danny, Danny has been wrestling 30 years, but he's also been in roller derby. He was behind Roller Jam. You know, he was writing, directing, uh, and on the talent. So uh, I'm working with Danny with that in Roller Jam, and he's got the rights. So we're trying to bring that back uh, because roller derby is really the sister sport of wrestling. It twists with wheels. And so I've got my hands full, and I'm also there's, there's a guy called Frank's Kids. Uh, his name's Mike Chiachi. Frank's Kids is a um, an art uh, is this artist's uh, pseudonym. He creates the craziest artwork. It, you got to see. You got to go to Frank's Kids. I put some links on um, your stuff, but he's taken everything from the '80s and '70s, every cartoon, the, all the Hanna Barbera stuff, all the Super Friends stuff. He's taken every image I remember as a kid, and he's puts a dark twist to it. He's putting like um, he's piecing it's Michael Myers and Jason and Leatherface. Everything that I liked as a kid, he's meshed together in a very dark, sarcastic, cynical way. And it's really and everything every time this new Frank's kids t shirt, a new image, it's like, wow, this guy is really on the ball. And I love people taking iconography that means something to me or means something to my generation and putting a twist on it. Yeah. And Frank Frank's kids really takes a twist on something that I found very endearing, and he makes it even better. 
So if you get a chance, I sent a link to Frank's Kids. It's got a page, and I'm Lucha Otaku. My company's working with Frank's Kids. So, you know, my hands are full. I've been working a lot. I wish I had some money for all the work I did. You know, any any compensation would be great. Um, but I want to thank I want to thank you as always. I want to thank um, um, Mark Craig from uh, um, Chunky Chopper Gallery for giving me the show, the exhibition. My friend John for hooking me up. Um, my partner Gary and Sonny Ono and ha- Kaz Hayashi and um, Danny Wolf and all the guys I'm working with. I think um, you know wrestling uh, offered me a lot of opportunities to spread my wings, and now I'm taking advantage of those. And um, I just feel that it's going to be giving back to the wrestling community, the artistic community. And like I said, anything I can do for you, any people I can get on, any more stories that don't involve three foot penises, you know, <laughs> I wasn't even going to mention it. I'm I'm sure there's more stories that we can dig up in the world of pro wrestling. Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. But I wanted to, um, you know, we didn't even talk about the Lucha Libre, the Mexican stuff. But um, that's the next time for next time. But I I wanted to thank you for the chance of um, spreading the name, you know, spreading the word. My art, my art show. It's the show's called Too Bad. Um, And I think uh, it. I think for artists, not just me, but all artists, creative people that. Now, the way things are with the Internet and the way the world is being in this post-pandemic world, that um, it's almost a good thing that um, people are seeing things they wouldn't have seen before. They wouldn't have the chance to see. Artists wouldn't have the opportunity. Like yeah. I said, the, you don't longer need a wall. You need just you need your computer. And art, I think, now is going to be monetized in such a way that it's going to benefit the artist. It's going to benefit the collectors. And people are going to see now that there's, um, art connects people. It, it's always connecting people. There's always something that you buy a piece, it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere, and you, you and what it is, you create a community. And I think in that community, we all share the same vision. And I think with that, we can only get stronger. I think as a people, we get stronger. You know, you, in sharing visions and ideas, we we, all, we go forward. Um, so I think you push the show. I appreciate that. People can look at the work. They can like the work, not like the work. But my job is sick. My job isn't to paint pretty pictures my job is to make a commentary and leave it at that yeah i don't we're gonna put all the gonna put all the links in the description anyway for the work oh and uh and we'll be catching up with you again soon i'm sure always a pleasure stay stay warm over there brother (laughs) all right cheers man take care